Hello and welcome to another installment of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. If you aren't familiar, Soccer Pints is an American soccer podcast where we have pointed discussions about U.S. soccer, Americans abroad, Major League Soccer, and many other exciting topics. Last week, I was joined by my guest host, Eric Pollan, and we looked at who could have a breakout season and shared a few names that should be on our radar by the end of the season as well. We chatted a bit about how everyone did on the weekend in their first league matches and wrapped things up by answering a few questions that were asked to us. We are basically one month away from our final men's national team camp in Europe before we fly to Qatar for the World Cup. So this week, I'm going to take a look at who might be called into the September camp for our two friendlies against Japan and Saudi Arabia. It's early, but I think we can really start to piece together a squad that we should expect to be called in. In addition, I want to share a personal story from last week that was a pretty cool moment for me, and I will answer some questions and wrap up with my final thoughts of the week. This week's beer feature comes from Champion Brewing Company based out of Charlottesville, Virginia. Today, I have one of their flagship beers that you can find year-round. It's called Shower Beer, and it's a crispy Czech Pilsner that is clean and always tastes super fresh. This is 4.5% in alcohol, so it's truly the perfect shower beer to get your day going. Champion has a great tap room in downtown Charlottesville that is family-friendly and has a wide variety of options for all beer drinkers. In addition, they have a 30-barrel brew house that produces their core and seasonal beers and currently operates at a capacity of about 15,000 barrels per year. Champion is also a massive supporter of their community and label themselves as Virginia's most community-focused brewery, contributing to causes such as Waterboys, which is the signature initiative of the Chris Long Foundation, which brings clean water to East Africa. Charlottesville is a city that I am very familiar with, having lived there for a few years, and I visit the area often, and it's one of the most beautiful cities to visit with a lot of things to do. So, if you ever visit yourself, make sure to swing by Champion and try out their liquid. You won't be disappointed. Well, The next international window date starts on September 19th, and that means we are a month away from getting the U.S. men together for their last camp and friendlies before they meet in Qatar. European seasons are about two weeks in, Major League Soccer is getting to the back end of their season, and we are less than 100 days until the World Cup kicks off. Clearly, there are some individuals who are absolute locks to make our roster, and there are some who are bubble players right now. The September September window will give Greg Berhalter and staff an opportunity to finalize their plans and evaluate players one last time. So today, let's look at who might get called into camp next month. And as always with the predictions I make, we will look at every possible angle for this. This should be the core group together with a few back-end roster players and a few who might get their first chance to make a lasting impression. I would suspect we will see a group of about 26 players And since that's the number we can take to Qatar, I will go for that with this prediction. Final thing I will say about this prediction. This is not what I predict to be our final World Cup roster. There are probably 19 to 20 locks to be on that roster. And this final camp will allow Greg to leave some bubble players home and bring in other potential players that could move up in the pecking order. I'll start with the goalkeeping group. And this one is getting trickier and trickier to predict. I think Matt Turner, Zach Steffen, and Ethan Horvath probably come in, and since they are in Europe, they should get the calls. Despite not playing yet, Turner is coming into camp no matter what. He is the front runner to start for the U.S. in November, so this gives him some minutes to work with the squad and get some playing time. 
Stefan has been so inconsistent lately, and while he is starting for Middlesbrough, I'm not sure where his head is at or that it's in the best place right now. He's made a lot of mistakes over the last couple of weeks, but I still think he gets called into camp as well. Horvath, he's playing for Luttontown and seems to be playing fairly well, so probably deserving to be brought in. I'm not sure it makes sense to bring in a guy like Sean Johnson or Gabrielle Slonina just to evaluate them as a third goalkeeping option. And since they are both in MLS, they probably don't need to make the travel and are better off staying with their clubs. So while it might be getting trickier to predict with this group, I'll stick with the three favorites at the moment. In defense, we can write in a few names easily. Serginho Dest and Anthony Robinson are locked in to the right and left back spots, respectively. Walker Zimmerman is definitely joining camp as a leader in central defense. The other central defensive spot is up for grabs at the moment, but there are a few names that should get called in. Cameron Carter-Vickers is one of them. Aaron Long is another. Chris Richards, a third name. And I believe Austin Trusty is the newcomer in this group that gets brought in. Those four should join Zimmerman in camp, and we really need someone to step up to partner with him. So I like a total of five center backs being in camp. But to back up Destin Robinson, though, that gets a little more interesting. I think Joe Scaly is a lock as he continues to start in the Bundesliga, and he has the versatility to play either position, so he has to be there. I mentioned Jonathan Gomez in the past two episodes, but I don't think he makes the cut this time and just isn't quite ready to join. I like DeAndre Yedlin's value as a leader in the group with his experience, so I expect him to get a call in, but in doing so, that potentially takes Reggie Cannon out of the mix. I'm not sure if Greg would want to bring in this many defenders, considering our logjam in the midfield and our striker situation, but considering Cannon is on the bubble, I think bringing him in to compete for one of these final defensive spots is somewhat necessary. So that makes 10 defenders with Dest, Robinson, Zimmerman, Long, Richards, Carter Vickers, Trusty, Scaly, Yedlin, and Cannon. I think guys like Gonzalez, Mark McKenzie, Eric Palmer-Brown, George Bellow, James Sands, and an up-and-comer prospect from MLS like John Tolkien, they miss out on this camp. Moving into the midfield, we have multiple locks at this point. Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, and Tyler Adams are the three I expect to start in this group, with Luca De La Torre and Kellen Acosta firmly established as backups. The only other player I could see maybe coming into this camp is actually James Sands, because he could play defensive midfield or center back. So that versatility could help him, but the numbers aren't in his favor at this point, so I don't see it happening. Going into our attacking options, we clearly have a lot of locks, and then we have a lot of question marks. Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah, Brennan Aronson, they are all in. Gio Reyna, he can be counted in, assuming he is fully recovered from his injury. His club is bringing him back slowly, and I'm not sure I expect him to feature in camp if he is still working through his fitness. So I'm actually not including Reyna in this camp. That could change if he starts playing in the next week or two, but even then, I'm not sure it makes sense to risk him in these friendlies. So this leaves me with five remaining spots to get to 26 players. I think Jesus Ferreira is brought in. Jordan Pifak as well. Malik Tillman scored yet again for Rangers on the weekend, so he has to be brought in. Haji Wright also scored on the weekend, but I don't think he did himself many favors with his time in the summer for Greg and staff to bring him back into a camp. I'm not sure how fair that is, 
but I just don't expect him to be given another chance. Ricardo Pepe continues to struggle for playing time in the Bundesliga, and I just don't see him getting called in right now either. Now, Josh Sargent, he's long been off the radar, but he scored his first English championship goal this week after finally being played in his natural striker position rather than out wide as Norwich have been playing him. Matthew Hoppy is another name that's been off the radar, but his move to Middlesbrough might help him out. With Daryl DK getting hurt, you can count him out too. Eric and I chatted a little about this last week, about utilizing more of a false nine rather than a true nine striker type of player. If Greg is hell-bent on using a traditional or true nine, then you have to consider Brandon Vasquez from FC Cincinnati and MLS. He has scored 15 goals on the season, which is the exact same as Jesus Ferreira. He is a big-bodied player who can hold the ball up and threaten in the box, but he isn't necessarily going to be someone who can pressure when we were in a defensive state, someone who can play more of a false nine role that I see and someone I fully expect to make the trip to Europe for camp, that's Jordan Morris of the Seattle Sounders. He seems to be a favorite of Greg's, and he can play as a winger or slot centrally up top if needed. He can also run for days, so pressuring their defense wouldn't be a problem for him. So I think these last two spots go to the two guys from MLS and Vasquez and Morris. Vasquez deserves a look, and he is an informed striker scoring goals, and Morris has experience and understands the tactics that are required of him. Familiar names like Paul Areola, Christian Roldan, Gianluca Buggio, Jordi Mihaljevic, they all missed the cut. I also would have included someone like Richie Ledesma, but apparently me speaking highly of him last week and suggesting that he could be in the mix jinxed him as he was injured last weekend by a brutal tackle. I'm not sure of his status at the moment, but it didn't look good at all. Tim Ream, he's the captain of Fulham in the Premier League, yet I didn't call his name into camp because I think Greg knows what he has in him. And there really isn't a need to call him in right now. Again, that doesn't mean he's out of the mix for the World Cup roster. It just means we know enough. So let's look at someone else right now. Conrad De La Fuente just finalized his transfer to Olympiacos in Greece. And he is definitely an intriguing name that could get into September September camp. But as of now, I can't add him. Matt Miazga immediately slotted into Cincinnati's starting lineup. But I don't see him being involved either. There are a few really intriguing and interesting names that could earn call-ups too. And if they do, I will have to drop a couple of regulars that are more of those back-end players. We have a few dual nationals that I didn't mention yet. I have in recent weeks, even last week, someone like Alex Mighton from Nottingham Forest. He is a 20-year-old winger, and while he isn't quite starting yet in the Premier League, he is exactly the kind of player that would fit into this team's system. Reports are that he is already declared for the U.S., but it remains to be seen where he's at on Greg's list. There is also Fullerin Balogun, who has represented the U.S. at the U18 level, but primarily has represented England. He scored his second goal of the season in the French League One on the weekend and plays the striker position, an area of desperate need for the U.S., I don't know that I expect him to flip allegiances and commit to the USA, but if he does, he would add pace, technique, and a high level of intelligence to the role. He is still just 21 years old, but I would absolutely add him to the roster for his chance if we could and he agrees to join. There is also a player in Portugal who has always been a top producer at our youth levels, and that's Alex Mendes. He is a midfielder who started his career with the LA Galaxy before moving overseas to Germany for a year and then developing in the famed 
Ajax Academy system for three seasons. He is now in his second season in the top flight in Portugal and has represented the U.S. at the U-17, U-20, and U-23 levels. He was also named the 2018 U.S. Young Player of the Year. So clearly, the potential has always been recognized. There are always a couple of surprises on every roster, and what makes this camp unique is that it's in the middle of the seasons, unlike other Summer World Cups where you have a 30-man camp for a month before the World Cup starts, because all seasons are over, and players are able to work together for a longer period of time. If Greg is going to add anyone new into the mix before November, this is the time now. As and, and for as good as our roster currently stands with our locks to make it, we could use a different look, a different type of flair to add to the bench if we can, a different type of style. In my opinion, I would leave out some of the guys who are on the roster who aren't going to play major roles and bring in some new players to look at. We should be using both of the friendlies we have to play a starting 11 and then sub in others to integrate them into the squad to give different looks on the pitch. For example, I would maybe leave out Yedlin or even maybe Aaron Long defensively, Kellen Acosta, Jordan Morris. The common theme with all of them is that they're in the MLS and they really should be nothing more than backups for the U.S. team. We know that. So if we have an opportunity to bring in new faces for September, I would save them the travel and leave them with their clubs in MLS. It's not a knock on them by any means. It's just with this camp being in Europe, that makes more sense to me. And again, we already know what they can bring to the table. Overall, I expect this to be a strong roster for camp where we can finalize our core 15 to 16 players who will be playing the majority of the minutes at the World Cup. We need to continue to get some consistency within the starting 11 and add more familiarity to each other. We have to maximize the time the squad has and continue to build that camaraderie. And based on the strong starts a lot of our European squad members have had, I'm ready to see them back in action together again. So, we're three months away from the first kickoff at the World Cup before a nice Thanksgiving holiday where we now have soccer as an excuse to watch TV all day. I'm curious to see what everyone has in their plans to watch the U.S. play. And if you are someone who likes to watch matches alone in the privacy of your own home, or if you plan to go to a watch party somewhere with a big group like I did back in 2014, we had some great watch parties at Courtyard Hooligans in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it was an incredible experience. With all of our matches being at 2 p.m. Eastern time, it definitely gives us options to start planning ahead. Given the time of year, it also gives us an opportunity to get together easier with family and friends, which leads me to our next segment today. So I wanted to share a cool moment that I had on the weekend. Being in Wilmington, North Carolina, and having played at UNC Wilmington, you would think it would be easy for former teammates and friends to get together often, but obviously, life gets in the way of that. And it can be tough to make things happen. My group of UNCW men's soccer teammates were very close to our our women's team as well. Heck, I even married one of them, so I was really close. But one of my wife's former teammates has been away from the area for quite some time as her husband is in the Coast Guard and they've been stationed in Hawaii and now in California. But they made the trip to Wilmington. And in advance of that, a group of former players on both the men's and women's team decided to throw a party to bring everyone together for once. I was able to see former teammates that I hadn't seen in quite some time, and it was such a great time to catch up and reminisce about our old glory days. 
It felt like a reunion of sorts, and it really was. And while I loved catching up with everyone and hearing about how the past 15, 20 years has gone for them, my favorite part of the entire evening was watching all of our kids together. I'm talking probably 30 kids running around and playing together and just seeing it all come together full circle. At one point in the night, all of the kids decided to start playing a small-sided game of soccer and just watching them and how happy and excited they were, it was such a cool moment for me. It took me back to my days of playing and combined with seeing so many former teammates and friends, it just made the night for me. And after one too many pints, I decided to do what any normal human would do and I decided to take on 30 kids in a game and I jumped right in there and had a blast. Slowly but surely, one of my former teammates joined in. Then another, and another, and another. And we played like we were just a bunch of kids out there too. It was so much fun. It's hard to truly explain it, but you just don't get too many of those moments in your life where you can slow things down and just enjoy the moment. And this was one of those. Thankfully, nobody got hurt and nobody cried. So that in itself was a win. And despite putting together some solid performances on the pitch, we lost to the kids and they were able to win the bragging rights over us. But my point in telling this story is just what I said. Sometimes we need to slow things down and just enjoy the moment. Too many times we get caught up and get pulled in so many different directions and it's hard. But I encourage anyone listening to this to reach out to some former friends or acquaintances that you've lost touch with. We are all guilty of this and we all have our reasons for doing so. And it's always going to happen in life. But try to make an effort to do it more. The people I was around last weekend were some of the closest people I had in my life at that time, and it was just so awesome to get together and have a few pints and share stories and laugh. Seeing all of their offspring was an added bonus. Getting to play with former teammates and make fools of ourselves was even better. It felt like we had never been away from each other, and that was such a great feeling. It was just such a cool moment. Well, On to my favorite segment each week, and that's the Q&A I get with everyone. A reminder that each week you can submit questions to me via social media or directly via email at will.clark at thesoccerpints.com. And you can be featured on the show if you would like to be. So first question up this week was asking me if I had seen the rumored World Cup jerseys for the U.S. yet. And by now, if you haven't seen them, go check online but the reviews are not good. It's hard for me to describe them other than they look like something you would buy as a knockoff at a department store. The white one leaves a lot to be desired and doesn't really make sense as nothing seems to be symmetrical. It just lacks any type of character to it. It's almost like a training top that other company or that other clubs have. Um, But the blue one for me, looks more like a warm-up top as well than an actual jersey. It's like a 90s retro tie-dyed gone wrong experience experiment. I just don't understand how anyone within U.S. soccer and Nike could approve this and think the reaction would be positive. Tim Weah had come out months ago and said the jerseys were trash. Weston McKinney all but confirmed the rumors and responded to the post on Instagram with, I tried to tell them. Clearly, this is a major mistake by the creative department at Nike and whoever within U.S. soccer thought this was a good idea. I'm still holding out hope that the reaction from the fans and internet will force them to change their vision, but it seems all but set in stone at this point, and the U.S. will be debuting these in their September friendlies. For me, it's just not a good look. 
There is no true identity and we have so much opportunity to really have a clean, sharp kit. And this just really misses the mark. Next question up this week. How do you plan to watch the World Cup? Interesting that this question came in this week, as I mentioned earlier about 2014 and watching with so many people at Courtyard Hooligans in Charlotte, there had to be somewhere between a thousand, maybe 2000 people watching a massive screen with the match on. And it was just such a cool experience. I've actually always gone somewhere to watch our matches, whether it was at a bar or restaurant or as a group somewhere. Seeing as our matches this year will all be at 2 p.m. Eastern on a Monday, a Friday, and a Tuesday, I'm not sure exactly what the plan's going to be. I'd love to get together with other fanatics and have an experience, experience, but I also have three kids to consider now that weren't around for the 2014 experiences. I need to figure out who's planning to host watch parties and then can decide. Either way, Many, many pints will be consumed as I am a nervous viewer and they tend to go down much easier with the added anxiety. Final question this week is a great one. I have recently seen that Christian Pulisic is being rumored to be loaned out this season. Would you please explain this to a new soccer fan what that means? So we are two weeks away from the final transfer period before January. So this is the last chance that certain players have to find new clubs or to be loaned out to new clubs. When a player is loaned out to another club, there are certain conditions, but from a high level understanding, it essentially means one club is letting another club have their player for the season. And usually the club who is getting the loaned player will pay those wages to the player. With Pulisic, for example, if he were loaned out to, let's say, Man United, because I want to speak it into existence, Chelsea would not receive any money from Man U, but Man U would be responsible for paying Pulisic his weekly wages. When the season's over, Pulisic would return to Chelsea again. Some loan agreements are different and they vary a lot. Some clubs request a buy option, meaning that if the player does well, they can buy the player on a permanent basis. But usually, players get loaned out to clubs for two main reasons. One, It allows a player the chance to find more playing time in order to get their form up and return to their parent club the following season more ready to contribute. Two, it allows the parent club to get those wages off of their books, again, depending on the conditions. In addition, if Pulisic were to be loaned out to Man U in this example, any matches that were against Chelsea, Pulisic would be unavailable to play in those. Very rarely in world soccer will you ever see a trade like we're used to in American sports. So essentially, players who are loaned out are just borrowed for a certain amount of time in order to get them more consistent playing time, help from a business or financial system with a club, and allow a parent club not to lose their full investment on a player that they've invested in. So we spent a lot of time today talking about the U.S. camp in September and their match against Japan on September 23rd. It's now been finalized and we will be and will be played at Dusseldorf at 8:30 a.m. Eastern Time. We knew it would take place in Germany, but now it's official. It's just too bad it's not a week earlier when I'm in Europe or I'd be in attendance. I've spoken a lot about the US men's national team setup, but I wanted to give a shout out to our under 20 women's national team who I have neglected a bit. They have been competing in the U20 Women's World Cup over the past week. In their first group match last Thursday, they earned a 3-0 victory over Ghana. In their second group match on Sunday, they were defeated by the Netherlands by the same scoreline. 
On Wednesday night of this week, they faced off against Japan, needing at least a two-goal victory to advance to the knockout stage of the tournament. Now, I don't know this team very well or what our current youth women's system is like compared to our men's, but apparently we haven't been very successful in recent tournaments in recent years, which is a little alarming. And again, on Wednesday, Japan beat our women 3-1, to knocking them out of the U-20 uh, World Cup in the group stage. I know we shouldn't put too much stock into this, but if there is anyone out there that can explain what is going on in the women's youth setup, I would love to know more. My final thought of this week is about Major League Soccer. I've seen a lot of people saying that there is no longer any parity in the league and only a couple of teams spend money to get marquee players and the other clubs can't compete against that. As we approach the final 8-10 to 10 matches of the season, in the Eastern Conference alone, only 5 points separate 5th place to 13th place. In the Western Conference, 7 points separate 4th to 11th. Now, I know I am a self-proclaimed Charlotte FC fan, but I have no bias with this. Any team can beat any team any day of the week. Charlotte FC went out to LAFC last weekend. LAFC is the best team in the MLS right now. Nine points better than any other squad. At halftime, it was nil-nil. Now, by the end of the match, LAFC won 5-0. Not great for my parody argument, I know. But on Wednesday night, Charlotte FC traveled to New York City Football Club, the defending MLS champions who are comfortably in third place in the East right now. Charlotte wins 3-1, earning their first road win when they were the heavy underdog. DC United, who is the worst team in the entire league, based on points, not my opinion to my DC friends, but they go to LAFC on Tuesday night and put up a heck of a fight before a 60th minute red card was given with the score tied nil-nil. LAFC scores seven minutes later in the match's only goal to win one nil. My point to all the naysayers in MLS or the ones who think the league is pushing for LA or New York or the big market teams to win each year, you're wrong. The competition is closer than ever and the league or the talent in this league is vastly improved. It's great to see and I'm excited to see how the final matches turn out before the playoffs begin. Well, that's it for another episode of Soccer Pints. Three months away from the kickoff of the World Cup, one month away from our final team camp in September. I really hope you enjoyed the predictions for that camp today, and I'd love to hear any other names of players that you might like to see in camp. There is still plenty of time for others to rise up and earn a spot. Let's just hope everyone stays healthy between now and then to maximize the time this squad can have together. More to come next week, but I will continue to review the progress of our players in their current seasons. I also expect to have some clarification into any last-minute transfer news, and I will be giving everyone an update on what is next for Soccer Pints heading into September. Thanks again to Champion Brewing Company for this shower beer. Until next time, cheers, my friends.